Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. Welcome to Vertical. If you're new here, my name is Verge. I'm the pastor of Vertical Church, and I love pastoring such an awesome church family. All right, I want to get right into it today. Um, A few years ago, I learned this lesson, and the lesson is what you see depends on what you're looking for. And my wife and I, we had owned uh, a van for for many years. We actually bought the van used as a Honda Odyssey. We had bought it used uh, probably had it for about maybe seven or eight years, and uh, it was at the point, anybody ever had a car that every week, like, it felt new because there was a new problem every week? <clears throat> you ever have that? Like, this is broken, this is now not working, hey, it's new, it's a new problem. Um, so that's kind of where this, this van was for us, and so my wife is really good, anybody who knows Pastor Just Lane, she's really good at doing research. So she started doing research, and we started preparing financially for what is it going to take for us to trade in you know, trade in or sell our van and then, you know, find what we're looking for. We wanted to get a a, a used car in good condition uh, to replace it. But we had certain, because of where our family was and how old our kids were, just things very particular. She's like, I wanted to have this, 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 and this, right? So we were talking, okay, these are the, the main three or four considerations. Now, after the research, just Lane and I landed on a Chevy Traverse, okay? By the way, I'm not a car guy for anybody, you know, for you, some, some people are car guys. I don't, I don't know cars. So here's, here's the interesting thing. I had heard about Chevy Traverse at that point. But if you would have put four or five cars in front of me and said pick it, I, I would not have been able to tell you which one, you know, is a Chevy Traverse. Uh, before that day, I had heard of it but never really known, cared, or noticed it. But all of a sudden, because I was looking for one, guess what happened next morning when I got in the car, went into traffic? Stop the stoplight, look at the right, look what it is. Guess what it was? Chevy Traverse. Got to Publix because I had to go grocery shopping. And guess which car I parked next to? A Chevy Traverse. All of a sudden, something that I never noticed, I'm seeing that to the point where literally I saw Chevy. I I was dreaming and I would see Chevy Traverses in my dream. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Ever experienced that? Like, because sometimes what you see depends on what you're looking for. And so today we're going to talk about How do you see your neighbor? That's the title of today's message. How do you see your neighbor? We're continuing on the series we've been on for these last three weeks, The Art of Neighboring, where we've been talking about how our neighbors play a role in our lives. I think we would all agree that we all want to have good neighbors. And so here's an easy question to ask. Do I have good neighbors? That's an easy question to ask. Here's a better question to ask. Am I a good neighbor? So, in, in other words, what would my neighbors f- say and think about me if they were asked? <laughs> would they even have an opinion? Because they might not even know me and I might not know them. So, week one, we talked about love your neighbor. We talked about the three Ds of neighboring. Develop friendships, discover stories, and determine next steps. And, uh, and I'll show you up on the screen the image we used the first week. We used this, this uh, block map, right? And we gave you guys these... Uh, these magnets, I think that we might have run out, or maybe there might be a few left if you weren't, didn't get one for your refrigerator. This is a tool we wanted to put in your hands where you put your house, that's you, that middle one is your house, and then you just consider the eight closest homes next to you. And the, and the exercise is, can you fill in the first names of those, right? And so it was kind of a convicting exercise because a lot of us couldn't fill in many at the beginning. But some of you have been telling, give me good news recently. Anybody fill out another block or another name on the list? A couple people, yeah? Yeah, yeah, great job, great job. For the rest of you who are disobedient, uh, 
<laughs> Sometimes I feel like a father. Like a, you know when you're a parent and you teach your kids things and then they don't do what you told them to do? So sometimes as a pastor, you feel that frustration, like, hey, go and do it, right? Uh, because we're called to make a difference. We're called to make a difference. We're not living by accident. We're living on purpose because we weren't created by accident. We were created on purpose by a God who has purpose and put purpose in us. And part of that purpose and that destiny is discovering who God made us to be, who he called us to be, why he has us where we are. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And we got to begin to discover it. Week two, last week we talked about barriers to being a good neighbor, right? Because there's always barriers you have to overcome. And I showed you guys the spectrum, the neighboring spectrum, right? Because every neighbor falls into one of three categories. They're either a stranger, an acquaintance, or a friend. And that progression, you know, some people have been, sometimes the person living right next door to you has been a stranger for 10 years. Shame on us, right? But how, so how do we make, take steps on this spectrum uh, from, from being a stranger to just learning their name, which is a good first step, which is an acquaintance, and then eventually becoming friends? We talked about some of the barriers to that, right? The time barrier. Sometimes the barrier is I just don't have time. We talked about the fear barrier, uh, the o- step, overcoming fear by being courageous and having a conversation <laughs> and, and getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, we talked about the motivation barrier. Sometimes it's just like, I don't know, I feel like it not motivated to do it, right? And so you have to overcome that barrier by showing compassion, by understanding I can have compassion for the people that live around me. Uh, and so, by the way, today's number three. Next week, we'll finish off number four of this series, and Pastor Alan Platt, one of our overseers, is going to be here. If you don't know Alan, man, he is a blessing. Anybody enjoy when Pastor Alan Platt comes? He is a blessing. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, so today, we are a Bible-believing church, and so we believe in the Bible. We love the Bible. We honor the Bible. This is God's Word. This is life. Uh, and what we like to do here is we like to physically have our Bibles. If you have it on your devices, that's great too. Highly encourage here at this church, we really want to have it in our hands. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible today, it's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screens for anybody who maybe don't have a Bible. Um, Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be kind of for our main passage. For those of you who like to kind of get ahead and have a little bookmark somewhere, First John 4 and Proverbs 18. But main passage, Luke chapter 10. I am believing and I have been praying that this series can have an incredible impact on our lives and on our communities. Can I get an amen? amen? By the way, why come to church if we're not willing to do something? Right? Like why go to the gym if you don't want to work out? Why go to a restaurant if you're not going to eat? Why come to church if I'm not going to put some things into action in my spiritual life? Beyond what's on the outside, on the inside, to build myself, to grow myself, to take steps, to say, God, here I am, use me. I want to make a difference, not just bring me and give me and bring to in. No, no, like I want to be a blessing. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count for something. And so we're here. We might as well do it. We might as well believe it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to come together as a spiritual family. Lord, we believe that a church is not a building we walk into, but a family we belong to. And I pray that today we would learn from your word. We would have sensitivity in our hearts, in our minds to hear this message and consider how we can apply it in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as these seeds are planted in fertile, good soil in our hearts, I pray that they would give much fruit and flourish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, give somebody an elbow. Tell them it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Tell them, don't fall asleep. Tell them, don't fall asleep. There's cameras. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Anybody ever heard the parable of the Good Samaritan? Anybody ever heard it? So we're going to read that. We've been in Luke 10 in this whole series, interestingly enough. And, uh, and it's interesting how the first, how, how the parable of the Good Samaritan actually begins with this passage that we've been reading every week of this series. So if you're at Luke 10, verse 25, say amen. All right, and it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Pause, pause. Who was it? Who was it? An expert in the law, right? Question, what do you call an expert in the law nowadays? A lawyer, 
right? A lawyer or an attorney, right? They're an expert in the law. This one specifically was an expert in the law of Moses. We would consider him maybe a Jewish lawyer or a Jewish attorney. Something interesting is it says that he stood up. In those times, when you stood up, it was to show respect. But he was standing up because he wanted to set up Jesus. So, so those are the, you got to be careful sometimes when the, when the audio doesn't match the video, right? you got to pay attention when what you're seeing doesn't match with what's happening, right? So, so he's trying to kind of show respect, but it says... On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to test him. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life, to be, to be, to be saved. So look what Jesus says. Jesus asks, what is written in the law? Notice how Jesus, interesting about Jesus, he doesn't always answer questions. He answers questions with questions. And so Jesus says, what is written in the law? By the way, by the way, Jesus replied, what is written in the law? Why? He refers to him to the area of his own expertise. Because what is he? An expert of the law. Jesus says, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So we would think right there, okay, great. He got his answer. He's gone. But no, no. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? By the way, the questions a person asks tell you a lot about them. In reply, because what he was trying to say is, okay, who, who do I not have to love? <laughs> Make it easy on me, Jesus. In reply, Jesus said, all right, all right, let me, Jesus basically says, let me explain this to you by telling you a story. And those of us who know the Bible, Jesus often spoke in parables, which means uh, they're stories that had a spiritual lesson or a moral lesson behind it. Uh, so it's not, it's not so much about the story, it's about what it represents, okay? So Jesus says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Where was he going from? Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is the spiritual capital to Jericho, which is a place of prosperity. When he was attacked by robbers. So who was he attacked by? Robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead, right? So this guy's not in good shape. He's half dead. He's on the floor. A priest happened to be going down the same road. By the way, priest, a spiritual leader, a leader of, he, Jesus is speaking to, to the Jewish leaders and Jewish people, and he's now saying one of your leaders, the priest, he uh, happens to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man that was broken and beaten on the floor, what would you think a priest is going to do? Help, right? And it says, no, he passed the man. He passed by on the other side. So he, he's, so, so he was going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So what did the priest do? What did he do? He didn't do anything. He passed by to the other side and kept on going. So to a Levite, question, anybody know what a Levite is? A Levite was, was part of this, the, the group of people who were in charge of the worship in the temple. So they were other spiritual leaders of the temple, of the church, of the, of the, of the Jewish temple, the ones in charge of the worship, the ones in charge of the aspects of worship, maybe even the people worshiping and singing, right? So it says, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man on the floor, saw him, pass by on the other side. So what did the Levite do? He did the same nothing, right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Okay, so pause, real quick, before we finish reading here, re remember, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Jewish leaders, including some religious leaders and Jewish lawyers. 
Jesus is painting a parable because this guy's asking about who's my neighbor. Jesus is painting a, a, a picture for them, and two of the top leaders of their people don't do the right thing, and now he uses a Samaritan. Those of you who have heard the Good Samaritan, you might, oh, I know the story, but you, what you might not know is that Samaritan and Jewish people, they were, they were like oil and water. They, were not, they did not mix well. Jewish people hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated Jewish people. There was a lot of um, a conflict, a lot of disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Jesus is painting now the Samaritan as the one who's doing the right thing because it says he, he saw him, he took pity on him. Another version says he had compassion for him. Verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, or coins of silver, another version might say, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense, any extra expense you may have. So now Jesus goes, now he looks back at this expert of the law, and he says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want to start off with this question today. How do you see your neighbor? The people who live around you. Now, the expert in the law asks about what do I have to do to, to uh, inherit eternal life? And it's interesting that, that when Jesus asked him, hey, what do you... You know the law. What is the law? How do you see it in the law? And the, it's interesting that the man actually talks about love instead of about talking the laws. Because you would think, since he's an expert in the law, he'd probably say, well, you've got to keep this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. Because sometimes that's the way people outside of the church view the church. It's all rules, right? Because sometimes we, we overlook and miss, fail to see that the, 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 the greatest law is love. So even this man understood that salvation was not an issue about laws. It was an issue about love. So the question is, how do you see your neighbor? And Jesus says, let me paint the picture with this story so you can understand who your neighbor is. Because some people can explain love in word and tongue, but they don't know how to show love in deed and action. So Jesus paints a picture by telling this parable. Because at the end of the day, our spirituality means nothing if it doesn't show up in how we treat people with love. Do you know what I mean? Nobody's impressed with how good we look on Sunday. And how many Bibles we have memorized if we don't treat them with love. In, in fact, in fact, you don't have to look it up, but, but in, in John 13, G Jesus said, Jesus, let me see if you guys catch this. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples because you dress nice on Sunday. That's not it? Oh, no, no. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples because you carry big Bibles. Right under your arm like that on Sunday. No, no, no. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple because you get a tattoo of a cross and a Bible verse on your arm. That's the excuse sometimes people get. That's what I want people to know. Or on my, on my right butt cheek. Because I want them to know Jesus, right? Um, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples because you have a lot of knowledge. No, no. Jesus said himself, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples that you have love one for another. The proof that discipleship works is that we're able to walk in love for one another. By the way, when people that don't know Jesus or people that are unchurched come to church, 
our prayer is that, I mean, I mean, we all have our challenges, but our prayer is that they find some love here, right? Because if they come here and all they find is dysfunction, you know, it's like, I already got dysfunction. I already come from a dysfunctional family. I don't want to come to another dysfunctional family, right? And, and, and by that, I mean, we, we all need love. And by the way, we all come from outside till, till eventually we're, we're in God's family. And so love is the key. So here's another question. The first one is how do you see your neighbor? Here's another important question. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? And the reason I ask is because if your self-concept is warped, if your self-image is damaged or incorrect, that will affect how you treat other people. So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack four principles from the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then I want to give some really practical steps on some things that we can do to love our neighbors. Can I get an amen? All right, four important principles. Number one, principle number one, how you see yourself determines how you see others. Notice in the parable, the thieves, here's a good point, by the way, the thieves saw the man as an opportunity to be exploited. Now, what are they? What are they? They're thieves, and they see this man as someone to be taken advantage of. It's the, the, the Bible says that he was going from Jerusalem, the spiritual capital, to Jericho, a place of great prosperity. And I don't know if he was wearing some kind of tunic, like a Gucci tunic or uh, some really nice Nikes. I don't know what it was, but these thieves saw him and they said, this guy's leaving from Jericho. I mean, he's leaving from Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho. Look what he's wearing, man. I could use a pair of those right now. And they don't see him as just a respectable man who's traveling from one place to another. They see that he's well off. They see how he's dressed. They see how he looks. And they see themselves as needy or in poverty or not well off financially so they see him as an opportunity to be exploited why because how you see yourself determines how you treat others the priest and the levite let me park here for a second the priest and the levite saw this man as a problem to be avoided i, I want to speak into this for a second it's interesting to me about the priest and the levite and i think as a pastor i think i can relate with these guys a little bit and not saying that it's right, but can I just speak a little bit of truth real quick? Can I just speak some pastor truth? Are you guys okay with that? Yeah? Nobody's going to get offended? Okay. A little pastor truth. Um, when you're in ministry, like when you work in vocational ministry, generally speaking, people don't often come to tell you everything that's right. Like rarely people come, pastor, let me just tell you, my marriage is doing awesome. Like that would be awesome, by the way. If, you're, if you are, like let us know, right? Generally, people aren't coming to say, Pastor, our finances are in order. We're honoring God with our tithe. Everything's in order. We don't, we're getting out of debt. We're in Financial Peace University Life Group. Man, we are doing, like, we don't normally get that. We know it's happening, but, but we, don't, we don't get, Pastor, let me just tell you, my son, whew, turn around, 90, you know, 180 degree, like, this is what happened, you know, you know. We'll hear about it, and sometimes we hear it, it's great. But you know what we do hear a lot of sometimes when you work in ministry? You hear when somebody died. You hear when, when bad diagnosis from the doctor, cancer, you know, you hear, and by the way, that's what the church is here for. That's what we're here for. But I'm, I want to give you a little perspective. You hear my spouse left. I don't know what to do. You hear we had to call the cops last night at our house, and this is what happened. You hear my family's very sick. You hear our finances are a mess. I didn't tell anybody, but I'm $100,000 in debt because of this foolish decision. You, you get that. Like, you, are, you, are, you, are you hearing me a little bit? When you're in ministry... A lot of times, this is what you're getting. You, there, it, it's, there's major pain, fighting depression, anxiety's got me up to here, I have suicidal thoughts, I'm hearing voices, pastor, I don't know what's going on, I'm seeing things, hallucinations, I'm, there's something going on, I think there's some de demonic oppression here. Like, do you, so, 
So, so the, reason I'm, the reason I'm saying this is, is a lot of times when you're in ministry, you don't get all the good news all the time. Alcohol, drugs, addiction, gaming, gambling, all these things. And I want to clarify, I'm not justifying the priest or the Levite. But when you're in ministry, sometimes you get to experience some happy and a lot of bad. And hey, maybe that's what we signed up for. That's fine. But when those issues come, I think that the priest and Levite's kind of like, oh my gosh, I just, clocked out at, I just clocked out at work at the temple. He's still breathing. He's going to be okay. Somebody will be here later. I hope he doesn't need anything from me because I just dealt with some crazy, crazy. And I, and, and I think he's going to be okay. I see the Levite coming. Let me go this way. And the Levite's like, dude, I just had rehearsal. I clocked out. I finished up. He's going to be okay. I'm not justifying it, but I'm trying to put ourselves a little bit in understanding. So when the priest and Levite see the man on the ground, they're thinking, oh, good, another person with another problem. I got my own problems, and I'm off duty right now. (laughs) So if they see themselves as tired and overburdened and full of problems, guess what they see? They see the man as a problem to be avoided. And then we get to the Good Samaritan. How you see yourself determines how you see others. The, the, the Samaritan man, he saw the man on the floor as a person to be loved. And this is interesting. You want to know why? Because I already said it. In those times, the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were rejected. And they were like the despised, rejected, distant cousins of the Jews. And they've been looked at as second-class citizens all of their lives. They know what it's like to be rejected. This is why the Samaritan was moved with compassion because he understood clearly firsthand what it was to be rejected by people, to be battered and thrown to the side, and to have people ignoring you. He knew what it felt like, and that's why he could identify with him. And so he offered the man the very thing that he wanted, love, care, acceptance, healing, because he wanted to be loved. And when you want to be loved, you'd be surprised. When you want to be loved, what you're willing to do for, for others. It's to say, he's like, I give you the very thing I need in my own life. I'm giving it to you out of my own deficit of what I'm missing in my own life because I see you. I see you. So the thieves see an opportunity to be exploited. The the Levite and the priest, they see a problem to be avoided because I got my own problems. The Samaritan sees a person to be loved and to be helped. How you see yourself determines how you see others. Because, by the way, the principle is love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, do you love yourself? Principle number two, how you are with people shows where you are with God. So it's okay to get real in church, right? Because there are are some people who can take you up to the third heaven in prayer and intercession, but their relationships are in a mess. You got to be careful with that. There are people who can sing you a worship song or, or, you know, they know Bible verses memorized, but their marriage is a mess. Now, we love them. We care about them, but you got to be careful because you got you got how you are with people shows where you are with God because you can't be in real close intimacy with God, being infused with the Holy Spirit of God and the character of Jesus and then treat people in a disrespectful way or in a dishonoring way or in an abusive way. You can't, there's some. How you are with people shows where you are with God. So when you, when you see arrogant 
pride-filled people that use other people and abuse other people and neglect people, it shows you that they haven't been with God. You may not know where they've been, but you know where they've not been. They've not been with God. Because how you are with people shows where you are with God. So by the way, you're at church right now, vertical church. So when you leave here, resist the temptation to lash out, to curse out, or to give any finger signs to anybody on the road. Because how you treat people, how you are with them, it shows where you are with God. Let's read a verse in 1 John 4 real quick, real quick. It's, it's interesting. By the way, if you have your Bible, 1 John is not to be confused with the gospel of John. So if you know the Bible, we talked about this in our Bible series a couple months ago. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But then at the end of the New Testament, close to Revelation, there's three, three uh, letters to John, by John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So 1 John at the end, 1 John chapter 4, there's a good verse that kind of illustrates this point. The point is how you are with people shows where you are with God. In other words, how you treat people, there's, there's a, it's a reflection a little bit of, of who, of where you are in your relationship with God. 1 John 4, verse 20, look, look what it says. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? You know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying, if, like, look, look, check this out. If someone says, I love God, and everybody's like, you love God? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, like if somebody, like I'm not talking about you, because I know everybody here loves God. But if, if, if a guy or a girl that you know or somebody at work, somebody says, I love God, and you'd be like, she loves God, please, right? What would happen if, if you stood up at work one day and you said, I love God? What would people's reactions be? Hidden camera, we should do this. If someone says, I love God, and everybody around him or her says, you love God? How you are with people shows where you are with God. Does this make sense? All right, principle number three. What you pursue defines who you are. What you pursue defines who you are. I might say, and who you're becoming. Let's look at Proverbs 18. If you have your Bible, right around the middle of the, of the whole book, Proverbs we're going to read Proverbs chapter 18. And, and by the way, the, the principle here is what you pursue defines who you are. We have to be so careful with what we pursue because what we pursue defines not only who we are but who we're becoming. There's an interesting verse here, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Look what it says. It says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Anybody ever? I mean, does this make sense, right? Listen. Listen. An unfriendly person pursues what? Selfish ends. Thinks for himself or for herself. And against all sound judgment, against all things that make sense that are right, <laughs> they start quarrels. A selfish person pursues selfish ends. I wonder, do you know anybody? Like, like when you read that verse, does somebody come to your mind? Yeah. Yeah. What you pursue defines who you are. This is a good, que this is a good question to ask yourself. What am I pursuing? What am I chasing in life? Let me give you guys a few common things that we as human beings pursue, but they're not the right things. Number one is money, okay? And you don't got to raise your hand. This is not like I got to tell the truth. No, 
The Lord already knows your heart, right? And he knows my heart. And, and some of us may struggle with some of these. But some people, what they pursue in life is money. And can I tell you something? People who pursue money, especially when it's predominantly for selfish gain, for just for me, are, are, are rarely A, satisfied, B, life-giving, or three, generous. People who live pursuing, and you got to be careful because what you pursue defines who you become. And so one of the things that I've noticed about the most wealthy people that I've ever met, both Christian and non-Christian, is that they tend to be people who are open-handed and generous. And I remember a good friend of, uh, a good friend of mine that's very well off told me once, he said, he said Verge, uh, a life of extravagant generosity will not be able to stop the blessings of God in his or her life. And, and it's very true. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And this church has seen it and experienced it as well. There's nothing... You cannot stop the blessings of God in your life when you live with extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. And so, and so you got to be careful with what you pursue. Other, other, other people, what they're pursuing in life is possessions. I just want more stuff. I want more stuff. I want more things. I want it to be this brand. I want it to look this way. I want it to cost this much. And a lot of times when you're living, be, be careful with what you pursue because what you pursue defines who you are and who you become. Other people, it's position. It's all about attaining a certain position or title to be known, to be recognized. Other people, it's fame, especially in today's generation, especially the younger generation. Like, like what people are pursuing, what young people are pursuing is fame. I just want people to know who I is. And, and, and they're, they're, they're not pursuing education because they're pursuing fame. And, and, and so be careful because what you pursue determines who you are. I, I, influ- I want to be an influencer. I want to be an influencer. And it's, and it's rarely because I want to make a difference in the world. It's almost 99% of the time because I want people to know who I am. It's, it's a selfish ambition and it's dangerous. Another one is, is power. People just living to pursue, pursuing power. I want to be in control. Other people, it's knowledge. Other people, it's knowledge. By the way, most of these things are not bad in and, of, in and of themselves, but when they're out of order or out of balance, they can create a lot of problems. So not, there's nothing wrong with knowledge. Knowledge could be a good thing, but when you live pursuing knowledge, I want this degree, and I want this, it's all because I want people to know how much more than them I know. By the way, you're not saved by what you know. You're saved by who you know. And so we got to be careful because what you pursue is who you become. Some people are pursuing constantly acceptance. They're in a constant state of I want to be accepted, but it's not in a healthy way. It's kind of like because if I'm not accepted by you or by people, then I have no purpose, and then my life has no, and I'm a victim. Other people are pursuing. Other people are highly and constantly pursuing beauty. Pastor, you're going to go there? I'm going to go there. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with looking good and wanting to be our best. That's very, very good, but some it's out of balance sometimes. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking about surgeries and procedures and things and I constantly want, because it's this thing, if I don't feel like I am enough beautiful, beautiful enough or, 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 or my looks, because it's men as well, men and women, and it's this pursuing of this, of this very superficial thing. And it could go beyond healthy balance. So it's good to take care of ourselves and it's good to, to feel good about it. So look, at, that's good. But there's a place where it's beyond. And, and, and lastly, I'll just mention, some people are pursuing youth all the time. And it's one thing to stay young in your heart and your soul, but it's another thing to be 65 and wearing what you wore when you were 15. You know what I mean? I'm not, tell- I'm not calling anybody here, but, 
grandma if you're wearing the same outfit as your granddaughter. There's some issues there. And the same thing with the men, trying to, trying to paint things and do things. And I don't know what it is, but, but there's nothing. Hey, stay young in your heart. Stay fresh. Like, stay good. But there's a reason why God created life, Ecclesiastes. There's a time to be born. And there's, a, like, there's a process. There's a journey. I, I don't have to look the same the whole way, you know. And the, and the harder I try, the worse I look. You've got to be careful with what you pursue. Here's, a, here's a, what you pursue defines who you are. Here's another thought. It could be that you are not pursuing anything at all. And that also tells something about your character. People who are too lazy, who lack focus and passion in life, who don't pursue anything, that's another problem. Pastor, I feel a calling from God to just be a video gamer. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm finding sponsors. I'm finding people that will sponsor me. Because I'm going to play, but people are going to pay for my, my car and for my, for my rent. <laughs> can the government, shouldn't the government pay some things for me? My mom and dad can pay some things. And, do you guys do anything at the church where you pay for young video gaming? No. Principle number four. What you have or lack determines how you see others in life. What you have or lack determines how you see others in life. Here's what I mean. Uh, and, and by the way, this is just an example. Uh, you're not, if you're in this, I'm not picking on anybody specifically. But have you ever met anybody who's involved in a multi-level marketing or pyramid model business? Okay. Uh, generally speaking, when they meet you, they see you as a potential client. Like when they see you, you know, you know like when, <laughs> you know like in the cartoons when the, the one sees the other one like a big piece of steak, right? Like, like so, so sometimes when, generally speaking, why? Because what you have determines how you see others. If, when you're in sales, you see everybody almost as a potential client. So you got to be careful with that. When you're in pain, by the way, and all you have is pain, everybody you meet is a potential pain causer. Because what you have, or by the way, what you lack determines how you see others in life. For example, when you're in need, everybody you meet is a potential supplier for whatever it is you need. Just based on what you have or what you lack. That's why the thieves in the Good Samaritan story, they are seeing what they lack in their own life. And they're seeing that this man is an opportunity for them to get what they need. I could sure use that coat. And based on what they lack, it determines how they treat other people. Now think about this, if you have been redeemed because, man, I needed Jesus and I received him as my Lord and Savior and I received salvation and redemption, as you begin to meet people and see another soul that needs Jesus based on what I have, I want you to have it too. I want to share it with you as well. So when, when you meet a neighbor and you realize, man, there's something that I have to offer him. There's something that we have that could be a blessing to them. What you have determines how you see and how you treat the people that you meet, including your neighbors. So, so here's a good question. How do you see people who need help? Because the whole Good Samaritan parable that Jesus told is all about how different people perceived one same person. The thieves 
They saw the man as an opportunity to be exploited. The priest and the Levite saw the man as a problem to be avoided. And the good Samaritan saw the man as a person to be loved. How do you see people who need help? And here's another good question. Why don't we help more people? Because generally we want to be helped, but we rarely want to help. And we talked about that last week, some of the barriers, right? The time barrier, I don't have time. The fear barrier, I don't know how to best help. The motivation barrier, I really don't feel like helping. The unable barrier, because sometimes we feel like we need help ourselves. We're like, how can I help if I need help? Or the backfire barrier, which is when you help someone and then it backfires on you. Has that ever happened? Because there is a risk when you help people, and it should be a risk that we're willing to take if we love Jesus. And by the way, <clears throat> thinking about more about this isn't going to help anything. We got to do something. W. Clement Stone said, thinking will not overcome fear, but action will. So sometimes we just have to get up and do something, get in action. And that's the good news, by the way. Here's a good point. We have the power to change the way we see things. Because we're talking today about an issue of seeing. <clears throat> and, and you don't have to just assume that the way you've always seen something is the way it always has to be. Wayne Dyer said, change the way you see things and the things you see will change. So don't lose hope when you're going through a process of change because change takes time. What does change take? It takes time. If you're believing for a turnaround in your marriage because it's been fractured and hurt, what is it going to need? Some time. If you need a turnaround or believing for a turnaround for your son or your daughter because they've been living in a crazy way and you love them enough and you love them so much but you want to help them, but it's not going to be a magical pill or moment. It's going to take some time. If you want to turn around some poor financial decisions in the past and start getting some some good, healthy financial habits in your life, it's going to take some time and action, right? If you want to go from being a neighbor who's always been a stranger to become an acquaintance and eventually to be a friend, it's going to take some time and intentionality and action. All right, so let's transition. I want to share some practical ideas on how to be a good neighbor. Like I want to encourage you to take out your notes or take out your phone or something right now. And if anything rings a bell with you, like if anything strikes a chord with you, like write it down and actually go do it. Okay, because what good is it to come and not do anything about it, right? Like, let's do it, and then I'm going to give you a strategy on how to eventually, eventually, how to share your faith with somebody, right? So, so here's some practical ideas of how to love your neighbors. Hey, this is a simple one. Practical idea, simple one. Intentionally set some time to sit out in your front yard. Pastor, what does that mean? So you get a chair, put it in front. Instead of going to the back patio, go in front for, 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 for you and your family, Every once in a while, I'll, I'll do that, and I'll bring my guitar. I play guitar, right? And you, it'd be cra- you, it's, it's crazy how much things just aren't done. My kids are playing basketball, and, and, and we're intentionally taking time. Do you think something might happen with your neighbors if you sit outside for a little bit on a given day of the week or the weekend? All right, another practical idea. Here's a practical idea. Hey, walk around your neighborhood. <laughs> Pastor, I've never walked around my neighborhood. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Get out your house. Open up the garage, right? And, and just walk around. And by the way, don't walk like really fast. And don't walk like when you see somebody, like, oh. And don't put, don't put earbuds in your ears, young people. Because putting earbuds in your ears, like, I don't want to talk to anybody or look at you because my world is right here and I don't need you. Like, so, so do that in your room by yourself, right? Take it out of your ears. Walk slowly. And when you see people, just smile. Don't be, don't be creepy, all right? <laughs> a non-creepy smile. Hey, smile. Hey, what's up, neighbor? That's probably what you're going to have to say because you don't know any of their names. What's up, neighbor? 
Hey, bro. What's up, girl? Until you can start saying, Peter, what's up, Peter? Susie, God bless you. But, but you see, I'm just giving you some practical ideas, right? Um, if you got a grill, bring it from the backyard to the front yard. Put some hot dogs. And just wait. Just wait and see who comes out. And, and intentionally think, man, I, I'm going I'm to make some hot dogs and some burgers for any of the kids or anybody who walks out or anybody who's walking their dog. And be like, oh, free? Okay. Hey. How about this? Maybe it's a special occasion, a special holiday. Take some cookies to your neighbor. Hey, thinking of you on Valentine's Day. God bless you. We're your neighbors from 933, whatever road, right? How about doing that? How about, uh, how about leaving an encouraging note on somebody's door? Hey, can I just say your garden is looking great. This is the Sierra family from two houses down. Maybe you can give me some tips. I don't know. Just, just, like, like, when has that happened? Like, that would make a difference, wouldn't it? How about this? this is, I thought this was a great idea that maybe if you have kids, you can get, kind of include them in this. How about you go around the houses on your block and you make a map of the birthdays? This person, these people that live in this house, there's birthday on October and September. And, and, and then, after you do it, share it with everybody so everybody now knows each other's birthdays. Who know, And then when it's your birthday, you just wait by the door and be like, Hey, could something happen maybe, right? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe when the conversation goes beyond, you know, nice puppy or, you know, I like your shoes. Or, and it goes beyond, it's like, hey, hey, by the way, man, I'm a Christian. I like to pray. This is, this is my prayer journal. Can I pray? Is there anything I could just put in prayer for you? Just for you, your family, anything you need? Praying is what we do as Christians, so why not offer somebody to pray for them? Or even say, hey, can I do a 30-second prayer for you? 30 seconds, what can I pray for? Boom. People rarely get prayed for. Do, so, do something special for the kids on your block. Like go, go all out one day. Hey, we're going to, let's, let's rent a bounce house. Let's, let's do something special for the kids. And just, just, because, just because we can. Just because we can. Organize a block party. Or be part of it if it happens. Like do something in your community. Hey, hey, how about this? How about take some flyers about Family Fun Night at Vertical? Hey, I don't know what your plans are for October 31st, but, man, our church, we put on a big party. The kids have a blast. There's bounce houses. There's, there's candy. There's food. Everything's free. You don't have to pay for anything. Come and enjoy. Man, it, you're going to love it. Take some flyers. I don't know if we have any more door hangers left, but, but j- just, just you never know when one invitation can eventually turn into the changing the trajectory of a family's life. Ask, ask somebody, like literally, hey, is there anything I can help you with? I have 30 minutes. Is there anything I, anything I can help you with at home? Anything heavy to move? You need a couple extra hands? Especially if you know a single mom or an elderly couple or a person in the neighborhood. How about this? You're getting in the car, about to go to the grocery store, and you see your neighbor, and you'd be like, hey, going to Publix, anything you need? I mean, has anybody ever asked you that? I'm like, I wish a neighbor asked me that, right? <laughs> Public sub. Chicken. <laughs> How about this? How about this? How about this? You're, you're washing your cars? And you say, can I wash your car? They're going to hear angels. They'll be like, hallelujah. 
Like I said earlier, maybe there's a, an elderly person or couple, and you could be like, hey, is there anything you need help with? I, you know, I'm here to help. Sharing the church website. Hey, I, you might not be able to come, but can I send you the link? What's your number? Let me send you the link. Send them a the message. Send them a, 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 something that's blessed you, a preaching or a message or something that might be a resource that might be helpful. Here's another one that sounds strange. If you need help, ask a neighbor for help. Because sometimes what people need is to be needed. And sometimes what brings fulfillment for others is to help. So we often say, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. But the truth is, sometimes it's not bothering. Sometimes it's giving them an opportunity to do something that they're going to feel so happy to do. Is, is this helpful? Is this helpful? Like, like we can love our neighbors as ourselves by just, by just being practical. Let me finish off with this. I'm going to finish off with the blessed practices. I've shared this before here at Vertical. So basically, here's, here's, what, here's where I want to end is A, we can make a difference just by helping and serving and being a blessing to people. But the ultimate, like ultimately, ultimately is there's a lot of our neighbors that don't know Jesus personally. There's a lot of neighbors who are far from God. There's a lot of neighbors who, who don't live with hope or purpose or fulfillment. And when you know Jesus and you've experienced God's love and presence in your life, you know the, the, the difference that that's made in your life. What if you and I can make a difference in their lives? And by the way, you, you, know what would be, you know what would be a nightmare for me? Literally a nightmare for me? If my neighbor came over one day and said, Verge, I got to tell you something. This missionary came from Africa and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And I accepted the Lord. And my life has never been the same. I am so thankful for that missionary that came all the way from Africa to speak to me. I think I would faint right there. <laughs> because why would God need to bring a missionary from another continent to speak to the neighbor who lives next door to me? I am the missionary in my neighborhood. You are the missionary in your neighborhood. And may God not need to bring a missionary from another continent to speak to the guy who lives in front of me. How, how horrible would that be? And so I, I want to I just bring this reality. It's just like many of you didn't know God, and at one point he became alive in your life. I'm not talking about religion because a lot of people are religious but don't know God. A lot of people know rules, but they don't know Jesus. And so I want to give you these practices. By, by the way, the two, approaches, uh, the two approaches that when people will try to share their faith, there's one approach which is the converters. I want to convert you. I want to convert you because this is wrong. And, 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 and sometimes that, that method works, but nowadays in today's culture, the blessing approach works more. And when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus wasn't so much a converter, he was a blesser. Because when you live your life in a way that blesses people, it attracts them to God through you. So, so rather than going and trying to, what are the five questions or using all these strategies? And there's nothing wrong with strategies, and, and, and it's good to know your word and to, and to know why you believe what you believe and to be a good carrier of your faith and, because there are going to be opportunities to share that and, and use that. However, the best approach is Jesus' approach, which is not I want to convert everybody. It's I want to bless people. And when I bless people, they're drawn to that blessing. So the blessed practices are right here up on, on the screen. Here they are. It's an acrostic bless, which is B, begin with prayer, L for listen, E for eat. Can I get an amen for eat? S for serve, and S for story. Jesus is our example. Number one, where do we begin? We begin with prayer. Jesus began his ministry, his life-changing ministry by praying. The Bible says he went up on a mountain and he seeked the Lord to get started on his calling. And you and I have a calling to our neighborhood, and we should begin with prayer. Prayer is how you do both the mission and how you discover the mission. 
So Lord, I want to ask you, Lord, can you open doors with my neighbors? Lord, can you show me who's the next person to connect with? Lord, can you, can you show me how I can pray? Lord, give me courage to talk to them. How can I bless the people that live next to me? So begin with prayer. Second thing is, listen. Listen. When you read the Gospels, one thing that Jesus does over and over again, we notice that we talked about it earlier, is he asks what? Questions. He leads with questions and he listens. Did you know this? Jesus asked 307 questions in, as far as what's documented in the Gospels. He was asked 183 questions and he only directly answered eight. He was almost 40 times more likely to ask a question than to provide a direct answer. And I think that's the blueprint that every church and every Christian should want for our lives is to be good listeners, to be hospitable listeners who connect with people. We need to be more like Jesus. I, I'm convinced that one of the problems that we have in Christianity is that we are way more known for our talking than we are for our listening. We are way more known for telling people, here's what you're doing wrong, than for simply listening to their hearts. So, don't talk, but listen to people. Listen to what? To their struggles, to their pains, to the places that they've been. Listening is how you become a good friend. Good relationships always start with listening. And eventually you listen to hopes and dreams and you listen to desires and, you, and along the journey to hurts and pains. And that's how you get to know someone. So begin with prayer. One, two, listen. Three, eat. You know, one of the complaints of the religious leaders of Jesus' time is, this guy's always eating with sinners. <laughs> that was one of the complaints that they had about Jesus. When you look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, remember the small man Zacchaeus, the tax collector? It's fascinating. Where did, where did the life change begin for Zacchaeus? When Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. You're making lunch. Let's go eat. When Jesus stopped at his house, they ate, the Bible says. They ate together. So, so here it is. A meal, an ice cream, burgers, a coffee. The quickest way to move a relationship from acquaintance to friend is to share some time together eating. That's a good thing. Generally speaking, how many meals does one normally have a day? Just, just usually three meals a day, right? So if there's seven days, that's usually about 21 meals a week, right? So what if you said, hey, I'm going to use one or two of those meals every week to see if I could bless someone. This can lead to momentum. So one, begin with prayer. Two, listen. Three, eat. Four, serve. If you just take some time to listen to people and you eat with them a meal or share a coffee with them, they themselves are going to sh express to you and tell you how you can serve them, how you can help them, how you can be a blessing in their life. You don't have to look for it. Mark 10, 45, up on the screens. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we see Jesus serving all the time in the Gospels. He would understand people's needs as a result of what? Listening and caring and understanding them. So begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. And the last one is? Story. Story. When you do these, when you, when you pray, when you listen, when you eat, and when you serve someone, there's going to come a point when they're eventually going to ask the question, so what's up with you? I notice you're different. 
And that's going to be your opportunity to share your story. Because when you share your story, it has the potential to change someone else's story. It has the potential to change their life. That's why 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Look, look it up in the screens. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Check it out. Always be prepared. When? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them, give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Telling our story, our Jesus story, our God story, man, it could change everything. It's powerful. And it'll be even, even more well-received if it comes after B-L-E-S-S. Because a lot of times as Christians, we're so excited, and we just want to come and tell them, hey, you need Jesus. You need to change this, and you need to do this. And people are like, whoa. You got a house to get to right now, lady? Brother, right? But if I've, if I've been praying for that person, and I've been listening to that person, if I've offered some generosity or invited them to a meal or, you know, or coffee or, you know, I've served them in some way that's added value to them, and, and that's going to open the door for me to tell my story. I've seen this happen once and again in my life. I've heard stories of many of you. In fact, that's, that's how many of you got to church in the first place, because someone loved you enough to invite you. By the way, friends who invite you to church are good friends. You know? Like friends that invite you to a place that's going to add value to your life internally, not going to mess you up or waste you, because those are other friends and that's a whole other story. When there are friends who want to help you get out of the pit you're in, not get deeper into the pits you've been into, those are good friends. Those are good friends. And so I encourage you, you know, how, 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 like honestly, honestly, you know, like I feel like a, like, a, like, a, like a dad, right? Like, go do this. It's going to help you. It's going to bring great fulfillment to you. And you're going to be excited to tell these stories as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your walk with Jesus. So how, how could we be um, like action-minded and practical about this? I would say right now, like right now on your phone notes or, or in your, in your, if you have your notebook or your journal, like what are the names of three or four of your neighbors, literally, and if you don't know their names, you can say the lady with the red wig on the corner. You could, you could do that for now, but learn her name. And who are those three, four, or five that you want to just begin pray for intentionally over the next week or two and take a step with, hey, getting to know their name. Hey, I'm going to be outside on purpose. Hey, I'm going to see how I can add some value. I'm going to do one of these ideas or thoughts that Pastor mentioned. I, I think that can make a difference. God may be calling you to bless others. By the way, we are blessed to be a blessing. I want to close off with this thought. There's a habit that some older people have. I mean, you might be, you might be younger and have it too, but there's a habit that some older people that I've noticed in my life that they, they look out the window. Anybody ha have had a grandma or grandpa? Or you do it? Yeah. They're always noticing what's happening outside in the neighborhood. And they're like, you know, like they're by the window, they're like, I wonder who that is. Right? You know? And then you think they're out of shape, but then the person looks at them, and then they do like a matrix so they, they, don't, they don't see them. Oh, so-and-so got a new car. They're, they're on top of it, right? What time is it? I can't believe this is the time they're coming, right? They're watching. They're looking through the window. Um, when you're in the house and you're looking out of the window, you can see your neighbors. And by the way, the illustration is a good thing because you see them. Um, it's interesting 
that the, the, the element that obscures glass or a window and turns it into a mirror is actually silver. I learned this as I was preparing for this message. Silver is what turns a window into a mirror. And because of that effect, when you look at the same glass, if there's silver in it, it becomes a mirror instead of a window. And in today's culture and society, we've gotten used to living in a very, in a very selfish and self-focused and very closed-off culture where we tend to be more desiring to look in the mirror than looking through a window. And so that's why the question today is how do you see your neighbor? Maybe the better question is do you even see them? Because we're in this culture where I'd rather see myself <laughs> than see other people. Jesus' illustration in the parable of the Good Samaritan is a great illustration. Because maybe I'm coming to the reality with good Holy Spirit conviction of, man, I don't even know three of their names. And now you're leaving with purpose out of here saying, I got some things to work on because I want to make a difference in my community. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for opportunities like this to learn from your word, to grow spiritually and relationally. I pray, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would actually be doers of your word. And I pray, Lord, that, Lord, we would truly begin to see our neighbors. Lord, I pray that we would not see our neighbors as opportunities to exploit, that we would not see our neighbors as problems to be avoided, but, Lord, that you would give us compassion in our hearts so we could see our neighbors as people to be loved. Lord, work in us and work through us so that our lives would reach beyond ourselves. I pray, Lord God, that you would help every one of us in this service, in all five services, also watching online, take a few steps in faith, in courage, and in compassion because there is a world all around us who needs faith who needs you, Jesus. And I pray that our actions, that our words, that the way we treat them, that the way we make them feel, that the respect that we treat them with, that the love and the care that we exemplify would lead them to desire for themselves to know you and to have you in their lives. So Lord, help us consider how we can love our neighbors better. Help us truly see our neighbors, how you see them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.